Hey there, this is Nathan. Welcome to the Camden Haven Anglican Church Podcast. I'm glad you're making the time to listen to this week's teaching. I'll have more to say at the end, but for now, let's dive right in. G'day, I'm Simon, if we haven't met, and it's so good to be continuing our series in the Ripple Effect, uh, thinking about everyday evangelism. If you were here last week, you may have heard Nathan preaching on creation, telling us that you have worth and value, and now we're in Genesis 3 today, so I think I'm probably the bad cop today, so to be the, the bearer of bad news, but it's, it's going to be good. There's lots of gems to be found in Genesis 3. Earlier this week, I was listening to an interview with this man, Osha Gunsberg, formerly known as Andy G., who was the host of Australian Idol back in the early 2000s, if you remember that, or more recently, the host of The Bachelor, Bachelorette. Anyone watch that? Not many, thought so. Uh, but Osha attended a um, Catholic primary school in Queensland, and he was kind of sharing of his um, experience of why he was drawn to the stage and why he even thought of possibly going into that career path. And uh, one, one week at school, every class had the opportunity to perform a skit at whole school assembly, and the message that his class was given was to perform a skit on not littering at school. And he came up with a line, uh, hang on, I need to remember this, oh yeah, he, his line was, don't commit a sin, put it in the bin. Whole school erupted, 10-year-old come out with that, A-class comedy. Um, he shared how his understanding of God uh, was something like, make sure you don't do anything wrong or watch anything inappropriate because God is always watching. I think his heart behind those words is how a lot of Aussies feel when you kind of mention this idea of sin. God is like a scary teacher in the playground, out to get you, waiting for you to mess up and do something wrong. Whereas sin from a biblical standpoint isn't just breaking God's law. It's, you know, you do you. Take the crown off God's head. I know what's right. I'm going to live my own way. Whilst Osha, Gunsberg, and many Aussies don't, might not have a clear idea of uh, the biblical understanding of sin, just about everyone agrees that the world is a deeply broken place. Uh, according to Aussie pastor and brilliant cultural commentator uh, Mark Sayers, he says that you may fall into one of these categories just depending on your worldview and understanding what sin and brokenness is. Uh, so, for example, uh, hedonism, if, you, if you're all about pursuing pleasure in life, that's your goal in life, uh, your definition of sin and brokenness might be whatever prevents me from finding pleasure. So, for example, lockdowns that stop me from travelling around Australia or, or globally. Maybe a more moralistic standpoint, uh, your purpose in life could be to do good, Great thing, uh, but your, your idea of sin and brokenness in the world could be uh, oppression that comes from ignorance. So maybe the church is oppressive, um, so that could be you know, an idea of sin and brokenness to you. <clears throat> uh, a more therapeutic you know, worldview, uh, purpose in life is to find peace, so sin and brokenness is anything that causes pain and trauma and distress. Um, a nihilistic point of view, your purpose in life might be just to feel nothing. Uh, because sin just is everywhere, everything is bad and evil, and even faith is corrupt, so let's just kind of hide at home and wait for this to all be done and over. I have a mate who, a Christian mate, who's recently moved to Switzerland. 
promise I'll get into the passage after this, the last story. Uh, he went to the University of Geneva, and up the top of the library, uh, it's not advertised, but it's there. You go up a long flight of stairs, there's two rooms, and each room is a, a museum of two of the great citizens of Geneva in Switzerland. One of these rooms is about a man, a museum about a man called Jean-Jacques Rousseau, 18th century philosopher, uh, really kind of shaped the French Revolution with his ideas, gave us a lot of uh, our modern ways of thinking. Here's what he thought was the kind of the biggest problem with the world. This is a Simonized summary, by the way. He didn't say this exactly, but main point of view. We're born weak, where we need strength, we need aid, we need reason. All that we lack at birth is the gift of education. The only thing holding us back as individuals, as a community, and as humanity is the reality that we're not educated enough. We need to be taught more, we need to understand more, and as we teach and understand, then we get rid of all the problems that we have. Introduce more things to the school syllabus, more programs, new advertising, maybe that'll fix our problems in the world. Down the corridor from Jean-Jacques Rousseau is another great citizen of Geneva called John Calvin. And these two guys kind of staring at each other, these portraits, very different worldviews. John Calvin's idea of what is the main problem with the world today and brokenness uh, is this in another Simonized summary. The biggest problem is our rebellion against God, the self-righteous pride that each of us has that says, I'm basically okay. You look at the person on your right, on your left, sorry, and you look at the person on your right, you say, I'm slightly better than them, but I'm not quite as good as that person. And that's how you rank yourself. But you need to look at God. As you look at God and see his holiness, his righteousness, his perfection, it's only then that you'll understand who you are and your pride will be swept away. What looked to you like righteousness, like basically okay, is actually filth and unrighteousness. That's the answer that Calvin gets from the scriptures. Uh, and so I think we can kind of uh, observe that or think about that as we jump into Genesis 3. Uh, and there'll be three points as we kind of roll through that this morning. Shame and blame, cursed creation, and gracious God. Kicking off with shame and blame, uh, read along with me from verse 6 of Genesis 3. If you've got a Bible in front of you or uh, up on the screen as well. From verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. It doesn't explicitly say that there was shame but if we compare this to the end of chapter 2, where it says Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame, you can see the reason why they sewed fig leaves was to cover their shame. These weren't elaborate garments that you might see at Paris or Sydney Fashion Week, uh, but the Hebrew word is belt of loincloth. So why did they do this? When you and I sin, it's the first thing you do, drive to Kmart, get a new pair of undies. Probably not. Uh, it's a bit, a bit weird, right? But what they're doing physically embodies what is going on emotionally. 
Uh, so physically, they, they cover up the embarrassment that may take place at this point. They cover up their vulnerability towards each other. The physical covering up is just an expression of what is going on more deeply emotionally. It's a deep unease with who they are that wasn't there before. One of the best definitions of shame, I think, is uh, from this woman, Patricia DeYoung. She says, it's shame is not being comfortable with yourself as you are and therefore not being comfortable in the presence of another. That is shame. Because of this first sin, shame entered the world. They covered up, hid and concealed who they were. Once we lose confidence in our relationship with God and his concern for us, his approval for us, his love for us, then we'll become uncertain of who we are. What does it mean to be human at that point? I know that um, I, I may have torn this movie to shreds a few weeks ago, but I really did love it, and, and Nathan does love it as well. I talked to him after. But um, good movie, Barbie movie, made lots of money. The whole movie is about trying to figure out how women and men work together, how they can live together. It's essentially Barbie's search for identity and who she really is. And what's crazy is that she has no idea who she is until she meets, and who she, what she's meant to live for, until she meets Ruth. Ruth Handler, uh, the creator and inventor of the Barbie doll. Barbie has no idea who she is until she connects with her creator. Once Adam and Eve lose their attachment to God, they reject him, they say, who am I? They're uncertain of who they are, and so now they're defensive. They need to prove themselves to each other. No longer can they be transparent, so they, they cover up. That all comes from the first sin, shame. It's not hard to see today. Many of us can be defensive and self-centered. We'll have things that we want to hide. What will you think of me if you see me like this? Will you still think that I'm funny or beautiful if you see me like that? So emotionally, we conceal. We're ashamed about one or two things we've done in the past, and so we, we don't tell our friends. Obviously, don't tell those who follow us on social media, uh, even our spouses. I don't offer my opinion because you might think, oh, I might sound silly if I say that. We've lost confidence as children of God. Shame has entered the world. Uh, we keep people at an arm's length, not wanting to expose ourselves. We're uncomfortable with ourselves and therefore uncomfortable with others. It began in the garden. Part of this shame and blame in our fallen world uh, is living with an unhealthy fear of God. And we see this from verse 8, if you've got a Bible or up on the screen. From verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? They heard and they hid. It's not meant to be that way. It should have been they heard and they were filled with great delight. Uh, the point of God walking in the garden isn't just, you know, God stretching his legs, going out for a walk at night. Uh, the Hebrew idiom of that word is friendship. So it's more like God hanging out with his people. They hid behind leaves from one another. They hid behind the trees to get away from God. You can't hide from God. He sees everything. He knows everything. 
God asks these questions to them because, or not because he doesn't know the answer, he asks them to give them an opportunity to confess. Like any good parent encouraging their children to confess. Uh, Our two-year-old Jude has been getting into drawing recently and as you can see, brilliant portrait of his dad in the middle there. We're believing he'll be the next Picasso with that, those kind of skills. It was Bonnie, by the way, who drew that. Um, but he, he knows that he's only allowed to draw on this flattened cardboard box on the back veranda. Uh, he's not allowed to draw anywhere else. And so Thursday, Arvo, get home and he's drawing away, leave him for two and a half minutes or something. Uh, come back, text it all over the veranda, all over the walls. Uh, I kneel down and look him in the eyes. He hey, Jude. Who drew this and that and that? Who drew it? Uh, and he's kind of calculating his response in his little two-year-old mind. And he goes, Dada? I was like, it wasn't me. Sorry, mate. <laughs> Don't have to be Einstein to figure that out. Um, God is saying to Adam and Eve, I know what you've done. God asked him straight in verse 11, have you eaten from the tree? God graciously gives them the opportunity to confess. But instead, they hide. They evade. You can't hide from God. They try to escape. God is judge. Adam couldn't hide and we certainly can't. The writer of Hebrews says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. All are naked and exposed to whom we must give an account. There's a subject feeling of guilt for Adam and Eve. But what's more significant is that they are objectively guilty for rejecting God as their creator and king. You can't hide from God. It's impossible. Imagine if you entered a courtroom uh, and you knew the judge is absolutely perfect, completely righteous, and he has sat in him overwhelming proof that you are guilty. You You should fear the sentence, but only if you are guilty. For an unforgiven sinner, fear of God is entirely appropriate. Fear entered at the fall. So there's shame, there's fear, and there's also blame that we see here. Uh, So from verse 12, we see, well, God asks, have you eaten from the tree? Uh, And Adam said, yes. No, he didn't. (laughs) He said, "Uh, the woman you put me here uh, here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. I think this quote is uh, really helpful, thinking about blame. Uh, And it says, there are a few more clear symptoms of persistence in sin than the accusing quest for excuses. An obvious mark of our sinfulness is that we blame other people uh, for our mistakes, rather than owning up to it. In this uh, in this chapter of the Bible, verses 1 to 7 is kind of the dialogue between uh, the serpent and Eve. And then verse 8, Adam is kind of the center of the action. So they heard the man hid himself. Back to Genesis 2, God made Adam uh, the head of mankind. A relationship is established with the man. A commandment was given to the man. Verse 9, God called to the man, where are you, singular? Verse 11, God says to Adam, who told you, singular? God is saying, hey, you, Adam, it's you who I need to speak to. Uh, Part of what has happened is just a blame shifting from Adam. You could be sympathetic because Eve is presented as the 
primary one in the conversation uh, with the snake, but God is having none of that. Biblically, that's not the way God has made us. God says, you, Adam, are responsible for what has happened here. We so easily justify our actions by just blaming others or other groups. You want to be successful in business, blame him, blame her, uh, push it on to someone else. Think of that at work, maybe you failed to send an email. Oh, sorry, I thought Peter would do that, whoever it was. Um, at home, get into a fight, think, oh, are you under pressure at the moment? Feeling a bit hormonal or something? Like you're trying to shift the blame, uh, push the blame onto your spouse or your siblings or your parents, whatever that looks like. Even in our heads, if you have a disagreement with someone, uh, before you know it, you just start thinking, oh, I was so reasonable in that. I was so measured. They were angry. They were shouting. They sounded like nonsense. I'm fine. I'm righteous. That person deserves all the blame. That shame and blame. And we also see uh, cursed creation. Uh, So from verse 16, one of the outcomes of sin is that uh, the woman's relationship is cursed. Relationships generally are cursed. uh, Yet there's a focus here on Eve. And verse 16, it says, To the woman he said, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. The woman's design isn't eradicated, but it is broken or corrupted. Now, because of the curse, God says, your pain will increase as you increase in number. Uh, The very good thing of childbearing has become corrupted. The woman does as she's meant to, but it hurts. Amongst the pain is possible loss and and sickness throughout pregnancy. What is meant to be a blessing is still a blessing, but it's a burden. I don't think many women sing their way through through giving birth. And there's there's competition as well. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. It's kind of competition or conflict desire. Eve, you'll want to master and control and manipulate your husband in order to get your will. There's competition that has entered marriage because of sin. Uh, Not only that, the man's work is cursed as well. From verse 17, we read, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Uh, The man's condemnation is in his relationship and interaction with the ground. It becomes toil now. The earth is still beautiful, but it's hard work now. Food still grows, but it now requires sweat. In every job, there'll be frustrations, obstructions, waste of time. You'll go to jobs that you plan for, for for weeks and weeks and no one shows. You'll have employees just kind of leave and now you're kind of scrambling and then trying to figure out what to do. You work for months on a project and have no offers. You work for hours on a report and the computer just goes, goodbye, boop. All gone. So frustrating. So, so frustrating. Death is also a result of the curse. Satan says, you'll certainly not die if you eat this. Adam and Eve eat the fruit. They don't physically die, but they're spiritually cut off from God. So the Lord God banished them from the garden. Uh, Physical and spiritual death come as a result of the curse. So it's a pretty miserable scenario in Genesis 3. Yet there are hints of mercy. There are hints of mercy. Adam and Eve heard God. They hid from him. But the Lord said, I'm giving you a chance to confess your sin. God is the one who always takes 
the initiative in salvation. We see this in verse 21. This is the Lord God made garments of skin and clothed them. He didn't have to do that. In order to clothe them, he had to kill an animal. And in the Old Testament, we know animals die in the place of God's people to atone for their sin. Jesus takes our sin upon himself so we might receive his righteousness and be clothed in it, clothed in his perfection. Not only that, but he becomes a curse for us. In Galatians, Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the Lord by becoming a curse for us. We see a glimpse of that in Genesis 3.15 as we hear about the one who will crush Satan and be our mighty saviour. In this victory, Jesus has over Satan uh, through his death and resurrection, he invites you to no longer live in shame, but to accept this gift of grace as he offers you to be clothed, clothed in his righteousness. At the end of scripture, last book of the Bible, particularly verse 18, uh, that kind of cl- being clothed language is repeated uh, as God offers you to be clothed, um, no longer live in shame, uh, to cover your shameful nakedness, uh, but to offer or to take up his offer, free offer of grace. Jesus is saying, come and receive from me my garment of righteousness, which will cover uh, the fact that you are guilty and covered in shame. When you know that you're clothed by Jesus, it gives you security and confidence in who you are. You can go out into the world not ashamed. When you know you're forgiven by God because of the work of Christ, you don't fear him, you love him. When you know that your guilt has been paid for by Christ, you don't have to blame other people, you can put your hand up and say, I did it. What every parent wants for their child uh, when they ask, do you know where the te- or how the texter got there? <laughs> uh, it's for your child to say, yes, it, I did it. I'm guilty, that was me. Uh, I can tell you this because I don't fear you. I'm confident of your love for me. I know that there's going to be some kind of discipline here and now, but even that'll be for my good. I'm absolutely certain of your love for me, that you will not reject me. Therefore, I can confess my sin to you, knowing that you are full of grace. Of course, Jude behaves like that all the time, uh, but it's, it's hard for two-year-olds, 42-year-olds, 82-year-olds. It's a struggle, but when you know that you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, you don't fear judgment, even though he knows the worst of sins in your heart. You know he loves you, because Jesus has died for your sin, has given you his righteousness. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, our lives are filled with shame and fear and blame as we try to hide from each other and hide from you. The brokenness of this world is deeply frustrating relationally, uh, at work. But we thank you that Christ has conquered sin, Satan and death through the cross and resurrection and we accept your invitation to be clothed in your righteousness, to not run from you in fear, but to run to you in confidence because of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Hi again, this is Nathan. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope that we shared something that's helpful to you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. Just so you know a little more about us, we are Camden Haven Anglican Church. We're a church that tries not to be too churchy and more relational. We meet every Sunday. We have four services at two locations. If you want to connect with us, you can find more about us on our website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just send an email to info at havenanglican.com. 
If this teaching has blessed you, we'd love to hear from you wherever you are in the world. And we pray that we've helped you to grow a little more into Jesus today. See you next time.